So, welcome. Thank you for coming along. This is quite a shock to me that there were so many people who were interested in exploring fear and fearlessness. Because when I chose the topic, I thought that'll be a nice small select group because not that many people are going to be interested in exploring fear. So, I'm really uh, inspired and it's great to see so many familiar faces and also quite a few new people too. So again, thank you all for coming along today. Because when I was exploring this theme and I told a few people in Dharma circles that this is what I was planning to do and I started to notice some very common responses. One of them was, well, I don't feel fear so that wouldn't be relevant for me. And another one was, literally, I don't want to feel fear. I spend my life stepping back from it and disregarding it. I don't want to feed it, so I don't see why exploring fear is necessary. So, broadly speaking, there were some, those were two common themes. And I wonder, as you hear those, what's, what do you recognize as underlying those responses? Fear, yes. <laughs> yeah, fear of fear, right? And I think for most of us, this fear of fear is so common that it's almost an invisible force. Whether we recognize fear or not, it's still driving us. You know, we can tell ourselves, well, I'm not going to feed it, but it's over there doing its thing, whether we are willing to acknowledge that or not. So... I appreciate your willingness to begin looking at it because unless we see it, we can't do anything about it. We'll stay stuck in our unconscious habit patterns and not be able to experience the deep freedom that all of the Buddha's teachings are pointing to. And I'll be going into more context about that soon. But before we go there, I'd like to highlight one other aspect of those common responses to this course theme of fear and fearlessness. Everyone I spoke to focused on the fear part and no one said anything about the fearlessness part, which, as most of you know, is a reflection of our mind's negativity bias, that we tend to be much more tuned in to experiences that are unpleasant and painful, difficult, challenging, than those that are either neutral or perhaps even pleasant, positive and beneficial. So even though we are going to be starting the course by looking at fear, I'd like us to keep in mind that the point of all of this exploration is to help us move in the direction of fearlessness, courage, towards more ease, more clarity, more happiness, peace and freedom. That's the point of what we're doing here. So all of you are experienced meditators, but some of you might not be quite as familiar with the Buddha's teachings. So just to take a few moments now to explore how fear fits into the context of the Buddhist path. In a nutshell, the point of all of our meditation practice is to help free ourselves from what are called afflictive mind states mental qualities of heart and mind that are painful, destructive, damaging to varying degrees. So just to name a few, greed, lust, anger, hatred, jealousy, 
boredom, resistance, denial, irritation, etc., etc. Just a few examples. On the other side of the scale, we also want to strengthen beneficial mind states, qualities such as generosity, empathy, kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity, calm, clarity, wisdom, and so on. So you can get a sense of this um, balancing in a way, releasing, diminishing the afflictive states, strengthening, supporting the beneficial states. And mindfulness, in a way, is the fulcrum, the hinge point that allows all of that development to happen. So usually when we start practicing mindfulness, we begin with the body as a way to steady and stabilize our attention. As I offered in the guided meditation just before, the body is a very powerful base, home base, to steady our awareness. And then when that mindfulness is stable enough, we start to explore what's happening in the heart and the mind. In other words, to become sensitive to our thoughts, our emotions, our moods, our mind states, all mental activity. And as we get used to doing that with practice, we start to recognize our own particular habits, common patterns, tendencies of mind. We start to notice how we have habitual reactions to situations and that often those habitual reactions aren't so helpful. But as our mindfulness gets stronger and we're able to see these patterns more clearly, we start to recognize what's driving them and how to free ourselves from that driving. Often, hello, welcome. Is there a chair there for you? Great. So as we start to explore the mind and start to recognize on deeper and deeper levels what's motivating us, we start to tune into what the Buddha referred to as the three primal energies or core motivators, traditionally known as greed, hatred, and delusion. Pretty heavy words, pretty intense words, but they basically refer to, with greed, that tendency to go after what we like, to hold on to it, to prolong it, to enhance it. With hatred, to push away what we don't like, get rid of it, avoid it. And with delusion, to space out, to not know what's going on, to get lost in fantasy, disconnect, and so on. So these are three sort of primal movements towards, away from, or kind of staying stuck. And although the language is quite heavy, it refers to a whole range of intensity. So hatred, for example, is not just murderous rage or intense aversion. It's just that trace of irritation or frustration. Greed is not just the most addictive craving. It's also that just that preference to have a little bit more chocolate cake or whatever it might be. And delusion is not just the most rabid um, psychiatric level delusion, but sometimes that will, you know, sometimes we just want to go back to bed and pull the covers over our heads. So again, there's a whole spectrum with each of these energies. 
to put it into more contemporary language, I sometimes use the English Dharma teacher Martin Aylward's language. He talks about these three in terms of the three C's, the letter C. So compulsion is greed, contraction is hatred, and confusion is delusion. So it's just pointing to slightly different flavors. Compulsion, contraction, confusion. And from that basic energy of compulsion, contraction, confusion, the body responds energetically and then the mind comes in and develops various strategies. And he calls these strategies the three Ds. So demands, driven by greed, defense, driven by hatred, and distraction, driven by delusion. So demand, defense, distraction. So again, these are just slightly different words pulling out different nuances of what these energies are pointing to. So where does fear fit into all of that? It technically comes as an aspect of hatred or aversion or ill will. And often this one of the three is explored in terms of anger. But the Pali word, I think it's viapada, literally means to strike against, to strike against or to push away. So as well as the attacking energy of anger, it includes any kind of pushing away, rejecting, resisting, avoiding. All of these are aspects of the fear response. And I'm using the word fear here kind of generically to include a whole range of reactions from just the smallest ripples of faint anxiety all the way through to the most intense terror and everything in between. So when I say fear, translate it into your own life and to whatever kind of intensities of response might be there for you. And it includes any reaction of avoidance, of resistance, of shutting down, dissociating, freezing and so on as well as anxiety, alarm, panic, agitation, trepidation, distress, dismay, foreboding, horror, terror, dread. Have I left anything out? (laughs) Quite a lot in that category of fear. So now might be a good time to just remember that we're going into this so that we can learn to free ourselves from it more and more fully. And it's a process. We have to start where we are. And humor is a very powerful ally in helping fear to lose its hold on us. So even though fear is very definitely a part of this second core energy, uh, in my own experience, teachers often tend to talk much more about working with anger than with fear. And I checked this the the other night at Golden Wattle, but is that true for you? How many Dharma talks have you heard on anger relative to fear? Yeah? For some reason, fear is not really talked about a lot, which is another reason I wanted to offer this course. Obviously, anger can be a very destructive energy, so we definitely do want to learn how to work with anger skillfully. But in my own experience, fear can also be very destructive, just in a different way. It can have a very detrimental effect on our daily lives. 
but also in our meditation practice. It can keep us stuck in uh, stale, static, unhealthy patterns for long periods of time. And if it's very intense, it can even stop us from practicing at all. So over the course of these six weeks, I want to explore fear in those two main arenas, fear in terms of our daily life and fear in terms of our meditation practice, daily life meditation and retreat practice. So anger and fear are both afflictive energies, but there tends to be a bias in favor of anger, not only in Dharma circles, but I think in society generally. I'd say, generally speaking, we we're much more comfortable talking about our anger than we are owning our fear. And this is particularly true, I think, for men. But for all of us, there's something deeply socially unacceptable about acknowledging that we're afraid or that we're anxious. And I think this is because of fear's inherent unpleasantness. Anger, on the other hand, can be quite seductive. And the Buddha recognized that there can be a pleasantness to it when he talked about anger as having a honeyed tip and a poisoned root. There is something about anger that's seductive. If we think about when we get angry, we often feel energized, we feel strong, we feel powerful, we're certain that we're right, and there's a kind of a power and strength that comes from that. And even though it might be a false confidence, it feels good, at least in the moment, until we get the hangover <laughs> of having to deal with the uh, after effects of whatever we did or said, motivated by anger. Fear is also, to me, um, anger is very much out there. There's something out there that's wrong. Right. You can blame that other thing, whereas fear, you can do the same, but I think it tends to be very much about something wrong with me for feeling that. Great point, yeah. yeah. So for those who may not have heard that, anger tends to be focused out there and there's a convenient person to blame or situation to blame, whereas fear, it's very much internal. So yes, fear usually creates the opposite feeling of anger. We feel weak and incompetent and inadequate and insecure and unworthy and ashamed often. And sometimes it's true that we have, in fact, been ostracized or rejected or even bullied, victimized for having revealed our fear or having had it exposed. So there is strong individual and collective conditioning to keep our fears well hidden for our own survival. So it's important to acknowledge that... Uh, this in this process of transforming fear into fearlessness, it doesn't mean running around confronting our deepest, darkest fears head on or babbling away about our neuroses to anybody who'll listen. There is such a thing as wise fear, wise caution. Because if we had no fear response at all, we probably wouldn't survive for very long. So we want to acknowledge that not all fear is bad and we'll be exploring later in the course some of the benefits of fear. And on the most basic level, fear acts as a protection that helps us not get into life-threatening situations. But the problem is that most of us, hopefully most of the time, are not actually in life-threatening situations, but we can still have a fear response that gets conditioned 
out of proportion to the actual stimulation. And so the uh, challenge in working with fear is learning how to discern, to distinguish between fears that are actually worth listening to and ones that are just have become a kind of habit that we have got stuck in. Those unconscious patterns that may, might be based on distorted or outdated perceptions of ourselves, of others, of the world. And these patterns can stop us from taking healthy risks. They stop us from exploring, from learning, from growing, and from meeting life's inevitable challenges with wisdom and compassion. So we do need to develop a wise relationship to fear, to respect it, to understand it, to learn what it's trying to tell us, and where appropriate, to see if we can find a different response. And again, there's a big caveat here, especially if our fear is in the terrain of trauma. You know, trauma is a, a specialized kind of fear response that we've developed um, usually from early on in our lives or perhaps from an intense situation. And we, the kind of fear response has got stuck in the body-mind in some way. Whether or not fear is in the terrain of trauma, the very strong encouragement is to work with it gradually, to learn how to befriend it, to meet it with kindness. And that's challenging because often people do have an agenda. People have come to me on retreat and said, well, I'm here for this nine-day retreat so I can blast through my, my trauma. Got nine days, see you. And there's this kind of violence in that response, which is actually a symptom of the trauma itself. So we want to be careful not to meet our fear with more aversion. Because as you just heard, aversion is one of those root afflictive energies. So approaching whatever fear is there with gentleness, with kindness, with patience, with humor, recognizing that every human being who's alive will experience some degree of fear. So if we can turn towards fear without trying to repress it, ignore it, deny it, it can help connect us with the truth of our humanity and strengthen our wisdom, our courage, our compassion. And this is really the deeper purpose of exploring fear. It's not just an exercise in masochism. Hopefully it's not an exercise in masochism at all. But We're doing this to learn how to befriend our fears so that we can transform fear into fearlessness. This is the long-range goal of the practice. But along the way, that process helps us to cultivate courage and open-heartedness. Both of these are aspects of love. So there's a direct relationship between love and fear. When we're caught in fear, we're closed usually, we're isolated, we're disconnected, alienated, lonely, and so on. So the more we can release that pattern, the more available we become to experience warmth, empathy, connection, kindness, and so on. And I think many of you are familiar with the work of social science researchers such as Brene Brown. You know her work on... Um, she spent to, close to two decades studying vulnerability and courage 
worthiness and shame. And there's a growing body of research that there's a strong link between the willingness to be vulnerable and our capacity to experience happiness. And this might sound totally counterintuitive because most of us have developed an unconscious assumption that happiness comes from making ourselves as safe as possible, as secure as possible, often by avoiding the people and the places and the situations that might trigger anxiety or fear. But that safety comes at a cost, as I just mentioned. That cost is often isolation, alienation, disconnection, meaninglessness, and so on. So the U.S. Dharma teacher David Brazier wrote an essay a couple of years ago called The Gift of Fear. And I'm going to include that in the resources for this week's uh, homework. So you can read the whole thing at home. But he says, fear and love are closely related. To cut ourselves off from one is to cut ourselves off from the other. (coughs) Suppressing awareness of our own vulnerability, we inevitably and correspondingly lose sensitivity for those around us. I find that the most wrenching fear that one experiences is the fear one feels for others. Love is like that. When one loves, one fears for the other. And this kind of fear the vulnerability that comes from opening to love is very different from the kind of fear that, in my perception, has been escalating around the world in different communities, different societies. It feels to me like there's a ramping up of fear, the kind of fear that actually disconnects us from our shared humanity and reinforces distinctions between self and other, us and them. And there are powerful forces in society that stoke this sense of insecurity. And the more fear we have, the more easy we are to manipulate. So the more we can train in overcoming our own individual fears, the less easily we fall prey to fearing others and the less easy we are to manipulate. So I just wanted to make that point that the work we're doing here has benefits not only for us individually, but also for our communities and wider society, strengthening connections between each other. So again, many of you probably know the work of Pema Chodron, the American Tibetan Buddhist nun. She's kind of my go-to person for anything to do with fear. As you probably know, the titles of her books are things like When Things Fall Apart or The Places That Scare You and Start Where You Are. And a few years ago, she wrote very beautifully about the broader benefits of working with fear. She says, When we look at the world around us, our immediate world and the bigger world beyond, we see a lot of difficulty and dysfunction. The news we hear is mostly bad news, and that makes us afraid. It can be quite discouraging. Yet we could actually derive inspiration for our warriorship, for our bodhisattva path, from these dire circumstances. We could recognize the fact and proclaim the fact that we are needed. Who are we? You and me and every one of us. Each of us on this earth is needed at this time. Why are we needed and in what way are we needed? We're needed because there are hundreds of thousands of billions of beings who are suffering 
if even one small segment of us, one sub-community, took it upon themselves to live their life in a way that helped their families, their neighborhoods, their towns, and indeed the earth itself, something good would begin to happen. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks. I hope you're feeling ready. So I just wanted to offer those few reflections you know, to get us started and then to take a little bit of time now to hear any reflections, questions, comments, agreements, disagreements. And then we'll have a shortish break for a cup of tea. And then we, when we come back, I'll invite us into some written exercises to explore our personal response to fear more directly. Okay, thank you for your attention. <laughs> 